Welcome to the Thriving in the Word podcast. We are so happy to have you listening today, and it's a great conversation that we have as we dig deep in the Word. If you're enjoying the Thriving in the Word podcast, we'd invite you to like it on whichever podcast service you use, leave a comment, a rating, review, even share it on social media. Let your friends and family know about what we're doing here. We hope that you enjoy this edition of Thriving in the Word. Okay, well, let's pick back up. We are continuing Amos and starting up Obadiah at the same time. We have uh, Johnny here with us, Lenny, Ben, Dave, myself, Judah, and we're going to probably wrap up uh, Amos today and start digging into Obadiah as well. So any uh, last remaining thoughts on Amos uh, before we move to Obadiah or or any opening thoughts? I guess we can kind of just do this however, however you guys want to do it. So it's, let's just jump right in. It's crazy that it's only one chapter for Obadiah. Like I listened to it a couple of times and sometimes like you listen to it and then you're like, you're doing something else. And then all of a sudden I look over, it's like, I, I, I think it's totally in the Jonah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Until you're really paying attention. <laughs> well, it's like, wow, how did that happen? Wait, Obadiah got swallowed by a fish? What? <laughs> <laughs> I thought this only happened once. <laughs> Well, here's the thing, right? It's like the Bible isn't in chronological order, per se, the way it's been arranged, right? Yeah. So no. it's important to know things like that. Like, where does where does um, Amos fit? Let's just say, you know, we're about to go into Obadiah. You know, which one chronologically came first? Was it Obadiah or was it Amos? Does anybody know? Yes. So, I do. O- Obadiah? Yeah. yeah. Obadiah would have been the probably the first one that was written down. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, depending on the sources that you read, it could have been 800 you know, B.C., yeah. Uh, BCE, however they call that, and then then possibly Amos, and I'll put that together at some point. But when I'm looking at these here, we just finished reading Amos, and you know we see Israel being called out. In in the contrast in Obadiah, which has been said is one chapter, twenty one verses, I think it is, but so powerful. And it's used in a lot of uh, ceremonial things for, for uh, Jewish people, uh, as is Amos. But you see Amos, or God, calling out Israel through Amos, and then <laughs> it's followed in Obadiah by, uh, you know, retribution for Edom. Mm. And, and, and God almost, you know, hugging or being warm to Israel. Uh, and and I don't. I, I'm looking at it, and I'm saying, okay, these oracles. As we keep reading these oracles or visions, however we want to think of these prophets, um, they're they're multinational. And we have to think of it in terms of ourselves today. Everybody is affected. We're all going to be called. It's not just the chosen people, Israel. God calls them on the carpet through uh, the prophets a number of times, but all people are under God's jurisdiction. And what does that say to us, or at least it says to me? Uh, the main, one of the main themes in Obadiah, as well as some of the other prophets, is God's sovereignty. Not over just Israel, but over all nations. We have to remember that over all nations and over all people, over all individuals. If, if, we're, talking about, if we're talking about God and if we really have this faith, it's, it's one God. It's not multiple gods like uh, all of these uh, peoples that Paul wrote to or that the prophets warned against. Uh, believed that there was this God, there was that God, there was this God. Everybody had their own God and their own religion. 
just one God and what we see woven through the thread, or at least I do, of all these, uh, let's just take the minor prophets, the thread is that there's one God, he is supreme, and he's sovereign over all nations. So uh, as far as finishing up on Amos, uh, it's Amos uh, chapter 9, verse 11. It's titled The Restoration of Israel. It's been that doom and gloom the whole way, but now we're starting to see that, that hope that mm -hmm. God always offers us, that restoration that God always offers us. Um, and interestingly enough, when we're talking about, you know, which came chronologically first in the timeline, was it Obadiah or Amos? And it seems to be Obadiah. Um, you see right here in Amos 9, verse, uh, or Amos chapter 9, verse 12, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom. So who are the Edomites? Like, who are they, who are they the descendants of? Esau. Esau, which is brothers, or the brother to? Isaac. Jacob. Jacob, right? Israel. Yeah, exactly, the nation of Israel. And we, we talked um, last week about how, you know, Jacob wrestled with God, right? Mm. Limps away, becomes, you know, so there's the old Jacob versus the new, where he embraces God and, and serves God and so on and so forth. So I thought it was an interesting um, thing to make note of that it's talking about, um, you know, Edom. And when you look at uh, Edom itself, um, which this is sort of segueing into... Obadiah, so I hope you guys don't mind. Um, I recently learned that Petra, the ruins of Petra, is where the Edomites lived. Mm -hmm. And that's in the Middle East, just southeast of uh, the Dead Sea. And right. if anyone's ever seen this, it's like, it should be one of the wonders of the world. If it's not, I'm not sure. It's these massive, uh, almost like cathedral-style carvings in red like sandstone, right? With amazing archways, like doorways mm -hmm. that are, you know, stories high. You would, you would have to be a giant to fit in it, basically. You know what I mean? Um, and it was occupied by people that were a brutal people who were the descendants of Esau, mm. right? So I, I'm talking child sacrifice, like the the worst kind of, you know, yeah. like vile sins that God would find mm -hmm. deplorable, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and when you see in Amos God uh, lifting up Israel, the restoration, he does punish them. But he restores them and he keeps them as a nation. I mean, even look today, they're, right now, Israel is, is there. Mm. Where is Edom? Mm. Yeah. It doesn't exist. The nation has been has been right. trampled out. You know right. what I mean? So it's just one of those it's one of those things that when God says, I will restore Israel, even if they're gone for a little while, it doesn't matter if it's a thousand years. Yeah. He keeps his promises. Yeah. And you gotta realize that, you know, a thousand years to God, right, is like a day to him, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Or I should say a thousand years to us is like is like a day to God and, and, and vice versa, right? Yeah. So it's just it's important to think that, you know, we're always pressed on our um our finite lifespan of, you know, I got to do this today. I got to do this this week. I got to get this done by next month or this year or whatever your goals are. And we're always so pressed for time and we're always so stressed out. But God isn't pressed for time. God isn't stressed out. That's good. He is, he is truly sovereign. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be his way no matter what. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, interestingly, I, I, you talk about that uh, promise of restoration in the end there. Uh, on chapter In chapter 9, the last verse there, 15, my book reads... I will firmly plant them there in their own land. They will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Now, isn't that a wonderful promise for the future? Mm. But you talking about God keeps his promises. To me, if you read that, and I started thinking about it, and you go back to Genesis, that's the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Absolutely. Right there. Sovereignty, that, yeah. That, that's the, that's, that's mm. the fulfillment of that promise. We read back in Genesis, and I won't go to, the, to those verses, but anybody that wants to do that, this is what 
God is speaking through Amos right here. Uh, you'll never be uprooted from the land I, I've given you again. I'll plant you there in and, your own land. And, and this pertains to today as well with what we see right now. Obviously, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict where, you know, you're seeing, like, you know, rockets launched in. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that you know that Hamas essentially can't win. And I'm not on either side. I'm on, right. I'm on Jesus' side, the side for peace. But it's like they won't heed the warnings. And these warnings go back how many thousands of years? Right. And, and what does the record show? Like if you're looking at pattern recognition, like let's say you're like a prosecutor in a court case. You're looking for facts. And you're looking for where the facts lead you, right? Mm. And you begin to, to do, like deduce from these facts a pattern. And that's most likely the conclusion. Like what you're going to get is, is, okay, this did or didn't happen. And what mm. we see historically happening here is that Israel rises to power because there's God's chosen people. He, he puts them up on a pedestal and shows them and teaches them how to live through the prophets, right? What they should be doing, how to human, essentially. And what do you see? Them getting corrupted. They get their pride, right? And the minute you become prideful, right, what happens? You're, you're above everybody. You're, you're, you're looking down on everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and we know that pride is a sin to God, right? We know that when you, when, you, when you exalt yourself that high, everyone else has to be that much lower. So how can you... How can you honor people? How can you honor God if you're looking down upon them? It's impossible. You can't, right? Hmm. So I guess the point that I'm trying to make here is no matter what, God is, is going to take the, the Israelites and he's going to basically exalt them so that we can better understand who God is, right? And they're, and they're going to fail. And God's going to punish them for their failure, right? But mm-hmm. he's also going to punish everybody else mm-hmm. because they're not living a godly life, because they're not abiding in you know, his word. Right, and that I think that's just an important lesson to take from this last part, uh, chapter nine, right there, right there in the end, where he says, you know, I'm not going to um, uproot them again. So you could try to you could try to knock down Israel with all your evil and stuff, like that, but it's it's not going to come to pass. Mm. They're God's chosen people for a reason, you know. Mm. Even if they make mistakes, He's still going to restore them. Yeah, it is interesting how it mentions Edom here in verse twelve. Israel will possess what is left of Edom, and and kind of like what you were saying, Dave, is that that Obadiah predates Amos. And so that almost verifies that what Obadiah was saying came about because mm-hmm. he talks at length about about that and mm-hmm. and obviously they were they were kind of I mean kind of neighboring I mean you had the Dead Sea that, that was there kind of uh, between them but but it's just interesting how how these things played out and then again these these age old conflicts Edom and, and Israel and you know all the uh, the Ishmaelite descendants in Israel and it's like we see that stuff remnants of that. Yeah, we don't have Edomites, but we set, certainly still have the conflict, you know, of these, uh, you know, these other civilizations that um, are still battling over these pieces of land and whatnot. But like you say, I mean, God—if God is for you, who can be against you? Yeah. And and we see that all throughout history, um, how God has uh, shown His favor on His people because of the promises that He has given them. So. The connection is unmistakable. It, the more we read the Bible, the more we're involved in this study here, and, and I have and I just it, it it allows me to continue to research this deep. The connection is unmistakable. Meaning, let's just take Amos. We can take all of them, but we take Amos in Israel has had a a, a, a fallen into a false sense of security because of pride, as Johnny mentioned, and as we've mentioned. So there was a slide away from God into national decline and decay. And then we go into Obadiah talking about Edom and, and what caused their downfall. The same thing, pride. Mm. They thought 
that because they were in, as John said, the rocks, Petra, which is mm -hmm. means rock. Uh, uh, it, it, that's the current name today, and it is a beautiful place. It's one of the places I want to visit. I haven't visited. They were in mountains that they thought were impenetrable, that they couldn't, and they had pride because of it. They said, no, you know, nobody, our fortress is, is a place where nobody could, could get into, could, we can't be harmed, and they had this pride and arrogance. So from Israel to Edom, into any other country. Here is the connection. Again, that thread that I'm talking about, and, and the connection is pride, which I think is the worst of, worst of sins. Yeah. I know in the Bible it says, uh, you know, the, uh, it's not uh, money is the root of all evil. What is this? The love of money the is the root of, of all evil. Mm. I think it's pride. But what, why yeah. do you love money? That comes out of pride. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, all, yeah. it's all based in pride, ultimately. Uh, I mean, that's what I'm saying. And, and, and what, what, what Obadiah is saying in here, yeah. And his short in his 21 verses is is that the moral life that's demanded by God of Israel it's demanded by God of all nations, nations of, yeah. of all people. It's universal. It's yeah. applicable to all nations and all peoples. It's not just, oh, oh, well, he's just saying Israel has to be moral. So he's been after them. If they didn't do anything, when they slid away from him, he brought ruin and destruction upon them and then he restored them and it happened again no we can, it's for everybody and yeah. from what i can see as you keep reading this thread here god can cause destruction not only he uses any and all nations to accomplish his divine purpose that's yep. the basic you, you know you mentioned petra and you mentioned how it was this impenetrable um fortress right and and the way i saw it is uh it's basically like these sheer cliffs with a small crack in it at some points, you could stretch out your arms and you could touch both sides of the wall. That's how narrow this channel is. Mm. So it's a bottleneck to get into mm. a great opening that leads to a giant mountain. So it really is like mm. you, there's only one way in and one way out. Sure. You know, because you're surrounded by these massive uh, mountains and cliffs, right? So it's interesting to think that it doesn't matter how mm. small that bottleneck is. God fits in there. Right. Right? That doesn't stop God, right? So if you look at the Edomites, right, and let's say you look at Amos and Obadiah, what do Amos and, um, or Amos and uh, Obadiah have in common? They're both warning nations, right? And they're both people that recognize how big God is, right? And, and I recently saw this online, and it's a story where um, a father is talking to his son, and, and, and the son says, you know, how big is God, right? And you, you guys may have heard this before, but he says, how big is God? And the father takes his boy, and he points up to the, a plane up in the sky, and he says, you see that plane way up there in the sky? That's how big God is, right? And the boy's like, looking up and it's like the size of an ant, you know? He's like, well, that's pretty small, Dad. And his father takes him, he says, you know, let's get in the car now, grab your coat, takes him in the car, drives to the, to the local airport, and, you know, he takes him out onto the tarmac and shows him how big a 747 jumbo jet is, basically, right? And, and it clicks in the boy's mind. It's like, it's like Obadiah and Amos are close to God, so they see how massive he is. But mm -hmm. the Edomites, they're so far from God mm -hmm. that it's not even mm -hmm. on their radar. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that, that reflects deeply on our own lives. Like, you know, <clears throat> If, are you spending, you know, your days with God in his word, with Jesus? Do you feel the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you feel God moving? Or is God so far away from you mm. that you don't feel him move in your life? Mm. That you feel like your prayers, you know, are, aren't being answered or heard, right? Is, is he that far away that he's a, a speck mm. in, up in the sky? Or is he, you know, right when you open up your eyes, he's right there in front of you? Yeah. And I think it's just it's an important metaphor, you know? Yeah. Well, and like you said, they, they were far from God. They had the pride, um, like in verse 2 and 3. The Lord said to Edom, I'll cut you down to size among the nations. You'll be greatly despised. 
you have been deceived by your own pride, um, which is an ironic statement there. Mm-hmm. You've been deceived by your own pride, right? It, and it's saying that you're deceiving yourself. Again, one of the, the common themes I feel like in the New Testament with, with the teachings of Jesus is he's always saying, don't deceive yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't deceive yourself. Which is interesting because he's not saying don't be deceived by someone else, right? Like it's one thing to be conned by somebody else, but it's another to con yourself, you know, and he said, don't deceive yourself. Um, and here he's saying, you've been deceived by your own pride. Do we ever allow our own pride to deceive us? Because you live in this rock fortress and make your home high in the mountains. Who can ever reach this way up here? You ask boastfully. But even if you soar as high as an eagle and build your nest among the stars, I will bring you crashing down, says the Lord. And again, it's, it's, that, it's that pride, um, the pride that's there, you know. We've talked about that so much, this pride thing. It's so deceptive. And just like it says in a line there, you've been deceived by your own pride. It is so deceptive. I think when I, I think about pride in my own life, and and I think when we're prideful, we, we think about ourselves and others. Uh, we, think, we think things about ourselves and others that, that simply aren't true. Mm. And, and, you know, pride deceives us like that. And, and yet we let it happen time and again. You know, and, and I do. I'm thinking, okay, I mean, I, I've, I've worked on it. It's gotten less and less, but there's always that time when I'm thinking, okay, why do I think that way? What causes me to think that way? Mm. And, and the Edomites are not the last people that were deceived by their pride. Right. We know that. I like the, the, the verse 4, but even if you soar as high as eagles and build your nest among the stars, I will bring you crashing down, says the Lord. It's this whole idea that people think they can run away from God. Right. And I would think of it like the, this is Looney Tunes cartoon when the guy's trying to run away from Bugs Bunny and Bugs Bunny is everywhere he goes. Mm. Yeah. That's God. God mm. is everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I ran. I finally got away from him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Thank you. This has been Theology with Ben. <laughs> <laughs> well, God. God That's will, from the Ultimate Bible, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, ultimate yeah. the, the Ultimate Guide to the Bible. The Ultimate Guide to the Bible. Bunny on the cover. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Jesus was a tour guide so far in yeah. this discussion. He was also an ice cream man at one point. <laughs> He's got a lot of jobs. Well, God, as we have seen, uh, and for anybody that you know has a problem with pride, God lays low people with pride. Right. Yeah. And, and, he, and he elevates or lifts up those who are humble. Yeah. Right. And it's, if we just boiled it down to that and we said, okay, let's be humble and not prideful. Wow. Think about that. Think about the change that would have on your own life and on everybody else's lives. And if we all did that, we're more humble and much less prideful. What kind of world would that be? Mm-hmm. Right. Obadiah uh, verses 5 through 7. If thieves came at night and robbed you, what a disaster awaits you. They would not take everything. Those who harvest grapes will leave a few for the poor. But your enemies will wipe you out completely. Every nook and cranny of Edom will be searched and looted. Every treasure will be found and taken. All your allies will turn against you. They will help to chase you from your land. They will promise you peace while plotting to deceive and destroy you. Your trusted friends will set traps for you, and you, don't even, you won't even know about it. The, the corrupted self-indulgence of life won't get you anywhere fast. The very things that are robbing you are the people you, you were trying to trust the most. It says here, um, if thieves came at night and robbed you... They would not take everything but because they know that they're going to leave you to be poor. But if they're robbing you, they know exactly where your most prized possessions are. Mm. Mm. 
And I've noticed that throughout the years, like if when I when I've had friends or close friends who I would call my brother, those are the very people that I would least expect to rob me, and those are the ones that have actually robbed yeah, me. Yeah, because I've I've trusted the wrong source. Well, that says something for storing up treasures on earth and right. not in heaven. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, they don't leave anything for the robbers to take. Mm. Yeah. But and so, so, so the, 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 the pride of trying to be above everybody, you know, and everybody that's around you, that it's, they're going to gonna destroy everything around you. And you think that you're at the top of your game. Like you're doing well, you know, things are okay, and next thing you know it, mm. it's all gone. Well, this, this where you point, I, I want to focus in on, you'd said seven. I, that was the only line I highlighted out of what you just read there. All your allies will turn against you. We read that with Israel. One of the things that they did was, in, in, when we read back in Amos and before that, they trusted in their alliances. They got away from God. They trusted in their alliances. They went to idols because some of those countries that they trusted in had idols. And the same thing with the Edomites there. They trusted too much in their alliances. And here it is. As your, all your allies will turn against you, they will help to chase you from your land. They were, they, were, they were proud of their strength that they got from what they thought were their alliances. But that doesn't last. How do we relate that to today or to ourselves? How much do we trust in our friends or uh, earthly things versus, versus God? Mm -hmm. The same thing. Right. It's what they did here. You know, put it right. on a, a simple scale of ourselves. What do we trust in more? Who do we trust in more? Right. Our friends or God? Or ourselves. Or, right. or ourselves, John. Right. Yeah, which goes back to pride. Right. Yeah, right. What Edom did to uh, Israel, it's like now happening to Edom. Exactly. Yeah, Edom. That's what's like, you guys did this. Right. So now I'm going to destroy you guys for doing what you did to Israel mm -hmm. in one chapter. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Israel was like trusting Edom to assist them, right? And instead, what did they do? They, they literally betrayed them. Yeah, they betrayed lied, them. Yeah. And they took everything yeah, from them. Yeah, exactly. Like, and now it's happening to them. And their most vulnerable moments. Like, yeah. think about that for a moment. Like, in today's world, how many times have we seen... Uh, someone take advantage of somebody in a vulnerable state. Yeah, that's yeah. just like so evil, right? Well, like yeah. this, that someone is crying out for help, and you're like, "Hey, I got you. Come here. Come, come eat at my table. Yeah. We're good. Come on, talk to me." And then they're vulnerable. They talk about everything, and then you're like, "Okay, that's the ticket. All right, win their trust. You know, win their love. All that stuff, and then destroy them." Yeah, that, that's another theme in the Bible too. Is you know, it's uh, the way we judge people. You know, is the same way that God's going to, you know, judge us, measure us, right? You know, the way we treat other people, you know, or, you know, do unto others, right? And in this case, you see it. What Edom did to Israel, you see God doing to Edom, essentially. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, so if, yeah, if somebody wants to apply this and, and you want to take this literally, which we should, and, and you were just reading one of the verses, like, I want to focus on verse 10 mm. in uh, in chapter 1 because there's only one chapter. <laughs> Uh, and it, mainly the end of it, but the verse reads like this in my book. Because of the violence you did to your close relatives in Israel, you will be filled with shame. And now listen to what my book says. And destroyed forever. I don't know what your guys' books say. Yeah, and destroyed thing. forever. Yeah. Yeah. Now go to 18. The people of Israel will be a raging fire. In Edom, a field of dry stubble. The descendants of Joseph will be a flame roaring across the field, devouring everything. And now listen, there will be no survivors in Edom. Obadiah correctly predicts the extinction of the Edomites. Mm. Do you know when the Edomites were fully destroyed mm. and gone? The last time they were heard of? 
they were actually they they were actually allies or fought with Israel against Rome in 66 to 70 AD. That is the last time you hear about them. So the Romans they, stamped them out. That was it. They were done. And they're extinct. And this is what Obadiah is saying here. He says, you'll be gone forever. Right. That's, that's, you don't hear about Edomites. That's, yeah. an, that's an important time stamp, though, 70 AD. Why? Who was the king of, of the Jews, right, during the time of Jesus? Oh, Herod. Herod. Who it, was Herod's father? Uh, well, I'll tell you about Herod in a moment. Yeah, please, yeah, please do. Yeah, 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 yeah. right? Well, do yeah. you know, You know, they tell you what Herod's nationality is. And if you I know want to get on this, you know what it is. You're yeah. Puerto Rican. Yeah. yeah. No. Johnny, uh, <laughs> it, it was, his mother was Puerto Rican. Just, just for those who are listening, <laughs> this, this is, this is yeah, Pastor yeah, Lenny, yeah, yeah, who yeah, he himself Pastor is Lenny, Puerto Rican. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah, just so you know, that's a good point to make, Johnny. Let's qualify that. And Johnny, I know where he was going with this. Yeah, this is Anybody remember who Herod is, who, who he was from? They go, Herod was from where? Go and ahead, Johnny. Edom. Mm. Yeah. He's and, a, but but what's, what's the name they call him? Edomia. Yeah, the, yeah, the Edomia, Edomia. Edomia, which was the descendants of Edom. Yeah. So what yeah. relativity does that have? And, and, and I'm sure John will add this to this. But yeah. here you go. You've got Herod, who the Jews couldn't stand and he couldn't stand them. Well, bingo, let's go back. He's really an Edomite. He's, he's not Edomian. Jewish. Yeah. He's Edomian. He's yeah. not Jewish. He's an Edomite. Mm. And you so, can add to it. Yeah, so so how Herod, who was, you know, the person who tried to kill baby Jesus, let's not forget right. this, who this person is. Remember the, the, the three wise men come and they say, yeah. you know, he's born. Where is he? We actually don't know how many wise men. Well, true, true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 it's yeah, not yeah. like Henry VIII. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but the point is, is they say, you know, we, we heard he's born, you know? Right. And he's like, ah, oh, I'll find him. Don't you worry. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then lo and behold, right, they get their vision and so on. But so how is he the king of the Jews if he is essentially the descendant of, of Edom? Mm. His father, Herod the Great, who actually built all the stuff, he approached the emperor of Rome and asked to buy the the kingdom of Jerusalem. And that's what he did. He stored up all of his, his acorns, right? Mm. And he purchased the seed. So it's funny to think that Edom, right? Or Edomia, right? Edomia. Edomia. So which is essentially Esau and Jacob's rivalry going way back. The betrayal's there, right? Yeah. He's sitting there and he's laughing because he's like, ha, huh, we finally won. Right. <laughs> this is my inheritance. At least he right. thought I he had did. It. Yeah, they're believing that exactly. He thought he did. Yeah. But it but it just goes to show, right, that no matter what you think is actually happening, you're like, oh, you know, the, the Israelites are are doomed or they've been stamped out of existence. When God makes a promise, yeah. that's it. The word is final. It doesn't matter how many years it takes. Yeah. It's right. going to come to pass. Right. So do you have your faith in God? Are you sitting there like, the sky is falling. Oh, no, my life is in shambles. Or are you like, God's... Are you in God's hand and no one can snatch you for, away? For me, yeah. this was an awakening mm -hmm. because I've read that so many Good. times. Good. Herod and I, and the word Edomia, and I never really looked that one up. I said, okay, I, it didn't click into me that he was, you know, ultimately, you know, going back uh, ancestry, Edomite. Wow. Edomite. I mean, I thought to myself, wow, exactly. I said, he's an Edomite. And now I understand. Here's the... the aggression there. I want to kill Jesus. I want to, I want to kill that line because... It, it's a and, threat and, to and me. At a psychotic level, too. And, it's like, yeah. Like, I'm going to kill, kill babies. All the kids. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Just so, so I don't miss any, any opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So anybody interested in history, that's it. Edomia, huh. it came from Esau, from it, e e Edom and Esau. It's really interesting, though, too, because it's like, if you if you were to lay this all out on a table in front of you and you were to look at it as, like, God's schematic, like God's plan, 
you would see that obviously Jesus would have to be born, mm-hmm. right? He'd have to run away to Egypt. He'd have to be called out of Egypt. Like you'd have to watch all these little checkpoints of what was prophesied, right? And then you would have to see that you'd have to go back. Cause when we read Obadiah or we read Amos, we're not thinking about it like Jesus is in here, but Jesus is absolutely in here because it's Jesus who is the threat to King Herod. Right. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. be, so, so when Jesus, the true King of Kings, Lord of Lords, right, the true King of the Jews, like literally they mocked him, you know, when they crucified him and mm-hmm. killed him, right? They said King of the Jews, right? It's all relative to this story of God saying that you know Edom would be crushed. Mm-hmm. It would, it would literally. What, what does your book read? It would be like burnt stubble or whatever. You yes. know, there'd be yeah, nothing yeah. left stamped out. You know, yeah. I was. Isn't it? Isn't it profound it, when you, it, when it you like let it sink in? I, I thought about. It. I'm thinking though. And this is just a rhetorical question, unless somebody can answer it. I said, okay, so the Edomites became the Edomians, which Herod was, an Edomian. And I'm wondering if he knew, I mean, yes, he, he went psychotic on all the, you know, he killed everybody under two years old, was it? Or something right, like that? Three, yeah. And did he know, okay, I'm I'm really from Edom, ultimately, my ancestry, and I, I'm... I'm I want to get back as the Israelites, you know, for us being destroyed or all the things that happened to us. I know it's a rhetorical question. Just I thought about it here. You know, for anybody that's interested in history, too, and anybody that's listening for us, you may already know, but Edom, Edom is today in southwestern Jordan is what is where Edom is today. I don't know if you know that, but just for anybody that's listening. And so that's southwestern, southwestern uh, Jordan today. And back then, Edom, in addition to being prideful because of the rocks, because of the caves, because they were seemingly impenetrable, they also were on a, on a, on a, a very lucrative trade route. They traded in copper. It was very profitable for them. So they thought they were the cat's meow. Well, that's that, why they were able to that, buy Jerusalem, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. They had everything. They were big in the copper industry back then, and, and they, you know, they were impregnable in, in their mm. fortress, and so pride mm. got the best of them. Yeah, and it's, it's funny when you mention that. It's like you, know, you have King Herod here who is, he's like, how is a baby going to replace me, Right. right? And you know we were who just hasn't talking. worked hard. Who do you think he is? Yeah, and, and my fa- my <laughs> father built this place up. Yeah, did all these crazy. I've stored stuff. You yeah, know, it, come it, on, I've worked for this exactly. And it's funny because you know we were talking about have we ever deceived ourselves? Has our pride de- deceived us? Rather than someone else con us, right? Yeah. Jeremiah seventeen nine, right? And the reason why I'm I'm going back to Jeremiah seventeen nine because this is one of my favorite Bible verses. Mm. The heart is more deceitful than all else, right. and is desperately sick. Right? That's what the Bible teaches us about our own hearts, hmm. is that it's not to be trusted, right? And you see this as a perfect, clear example with Herod and even his father, right? Hmm. This is the same Herod that, uh, you know, his, I, I believe it was maybe his daughter or daughter-in-law, something like that, danced for him. And he offered half of his entire kingdom for, for her. And what, she, what did she ask for instead? The head of John the Baptizer. And he obliged. Yeah. He took the head of John the Baptizer and gave it to her as a gift. This is a, a psychotic person. Well, he oh. was. He wouldn't yeah. go. It's uh, it's ironic because he wouldn't go back on his promise. He promised her that, and he and he was in front of all his court. He, it's it's more than that. Think about it. He was in front of his court, and Salome did this dance for him, and he was intrigued by her and lusted for her. Yeah. And now, because he was around all his court, and he's the king, and he said, "I will give you anything up to half of my kingdom." which was a common thing for kings to say, mm-hmm. we'll give you up to half of our, my kingdom. And she says, no, I just want the head of John the Baptist. 
And he says, no, don't ask that anything, I'll do anything, because he feared John the Baptist. But what got the best of him? His pride. He had to do it because all of the people around him, all of his, you know, the people that were sycophants around him, all of his court, all of his, uh, what do you call it, entourage, if you will, they were there, and he couldn't go. He his pride made him continue. He didn't want to kill John the Baptist. He really yeah. did it. Yeah, because he was loved by by a lot of people. Right? Yeah, and, yeah, and he and, and, and he was and, and Herod was afraid of him. Was he, he Elijah? Was a, yeah, and and yet he was overcome by his pride because all these people would think less of him. He wouldn't be king anymore yeah, if, so, if he exactly. didn't do that. So you're saying that because of lust, he was able to convince him to kill one man does not hold a candle to what Esther was able to do. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he lusted after her. In, 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 yeah. in speaking of, speaking, we, we read that verse too, speaking of pride, and, and I like to go back and forth too, and, and, and the reason I do that, I'm glad John brought up uh, Jeremiah and Judah and Lenny, you guys always bring up different verses. We need to intertwine the Bible for ourselves and for others that might be listening. So, Listen to this. I, I looked up. I said, okay, where else is there pride in here? So I, got, I found one that I liked, which was 1 Peter 5. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of elders, and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. Mm. Dress yourselves in humility. And then it goes on, and this is from Proverbs or something, but Peter quotes, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So, Peter says, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. It's beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Anybody that wants to see that and that's listening to us, 1 Peter 5, 5. Now, do, do you guys remember where Obadiah first came on the scene? Well, here's something about that, Jude, and I'm going to let you tell me because I'm not totally sure now. It could have been in David's army, if that's right. But no. I got to tell you this. It's confusing, and I want to say this for anybody that might be listening to us. If you're looking up Obadiah, there are 13, yeah, there's Obad- different ones. There's 13 Obadiahs in the Old Testament. I'm going to let Judah take it from here because I don't know where he exactly came from. Most theologians and scholars concur that, that it's the same Obadiah that was um, basically an administrator for King Ahab. So mm-hmm. if you see 1 Kings uh, 18, it says, After a long time in the third year of the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I'll send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. But in parentheses, says, Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord, which which you think of against all odds, because you have Ahab and Jezebel, who are debatably some of the worst yeah. rulers that ever were, and yet here's Obadiah, who's an administrator for Ahab and a devout follower in the Lord. Hmm. How far does he take that? This is how far he takes this. While Jezebel, okay, so his, the king's wife, the queen, was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, go throughout the land, uh, find where they're looking for grass and stuff, things like that. Obadiah goes out one direction, Ahab in another. Obadiah was walking along. Elijah meets him. Obadiah recognizes him, bows to the ground. Is this really you, my lord, Elijah? Yes, go tell your master, Elijah's here. And then... Um, 
Obadiah kind of goes back and forth because he's he's afraid now because he's afraid that Elijah's going to not show up and he's going to tell the king, oh, I found Elijah. And, and he says, no, I'll be there. But th- this one little snippet, um, and uh, for all practical purposes, most agree that that's the same Obadiah. And he here he is, um, you know, sticking his neck out. And he was a, a person of means. I mean, he's, he's supporting a hundred prophets with food and water and taking care of them. Has them split up into two different caves, most likely, so that if one of the caves gets found and they get wiped out, because the person he works for is on a uh, mission to eradicate Israel of prophets. And so he's there taking care of them. And then through all of that, uh, we don't know exactly what transpires to bring him to the point of prophecy himself. But you see now God now begins to speak through him towards the enemies of Israel. So, so it's like he's interconnected you know, all throughout these things. New Elijah worked right with Ahab and Jezebel, which, um, which it kind of puts them along the same timelines there. Um, but I just thought that was interesting. You know, him, I've, I've always read that and thought, man, this guy must have been you know, pretty, uh, pretty outstanding to go and find a hundred prophets. I mean, that's a lot of people. And, and, and even with that, like, we don't know, like, maybe this is their families included. Like, we don't know. I mean, but it's well, a lot of people. It, it was God's will, right? If it's written in scripture, we know it's the will of the father, right? Yeah. Which means that it's obviously divine, right? So, but it's funny because think about, he was an administrator. He could have been a really prideful person, but he wasn't. He was humble, right? right? He bowed. It says it right there. He bowed down. Yeah. Right. And that, that's a sign of reverence and respect, right? So super important while we're talking about pride and we're talking about, you know, dress yourselves in humility. You see that here with Obadiah. Um, one of the things that I wanted to mention is... When we talk about pride, we look at it as a sin because it's evil, right? And who is the evil one? What does the Our Father pray? You know, it says, and deliver us from the evil one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if pride is evil. Now, I'm just going to read from John uh, 8, verse 44, but only only a little segment of it. He was a murderer, or excuse me, yeah, he was a, a, a liar and a murderer from the beginning, right? Who is that? That's the Satan. That's the devil, right? Mm-hmm. So if the evil one... Pride, evil, lying, deceit, heart, deception. You guys with me here? And then when the Bible tells us that our own flesh is one of our enemies, right? The world is our enemy and the Satan is our enemy. If our heart is deceitful, it's all connected. It's yeah. like it's like our actual bodies, our own lustful thoughts, our own, you know, our lust for power, our lust for, for money, our lust for material possessions. Our lust for lust. Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 what brought down what brought down the or what brought the fall of mankind? Yeah, pride in the garden. Yeah. Evil, you know. It's, yeah. it's like it, it was. It was pride, it was pride. because the uh, the serpent says to him, "Eat this. You won't die. You're going to be like God." Yeah. Okay. Great. I want to be like God. Why was Lucifer cast out of heaven? Because of because of pride. You wanted a kingdom here. I gave you that, kingdom. That, that's what I, I would go back even before the yeah. fall is to what you just said, Judah to to Lucifer to Satan, uh, as you started to say, John. Again, and you think about it, okay, why? why? Why did he get cast out? As Judah said, pride. In, in, and I think about it, again, we talk about this so much. What's the major barrier between us and God? Pride. Absolutely. Pride. It's, all it's a major evil, barrier. Yeah. It's all connected, but it's, it's this thing called pride, and that is the major barrier. If we could, as I said before, if we could divest ourselves of pride totally, yeah. Or as I ask God every day, strip me of my pride, all of it. If we could do that, we would be humble. Well, and, is, and there would be no barrier. As I've said before, it's a root sin. Every other sin stems out of pride. 
every it's, single one. And it's sin that divides us from God, separates right. us from God. But yeah. because, and what does God say? We see this in the scriptures, is God resists the proud. The proud, It yeah, doesn't yeah. say that he resists the sexually immoral because, you know, we see the woman killed in the act of adultery. We see Rahab. We see David. We see all Jezebel. these people. <laughs> yeah, Jezebel. Yeah, well, <laughs> she got eaten by dogs. But, um, you know, but we see, we see murderers. We see liars. We see all these things. It says God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble because pride, like I said, is the number one thing that keeps us away from God. Pride is the fuel that drives us to sin, mm. right? Because of my pride, now I will do this. Because of my pride, I will lie. Because of my pride, I will, you know, hate, I will murder, I will steal, I will do whatever. And, and it's like that root issue, um, it keeps rearing its ugly head and it, and it it's like there's a few themes that I think are consistent throughout the entirety of Scripture. One is God's love, mercy, and forgiveness. And the other is man's infinite capacity to uh, live in pride. And sin. Yeah. yeah. But, but again, it, it's one of the same. Because again, yeah. pride trips that. But just, 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 imagine time, we, so. just imagine if we were able to let go of pride completely. We still have to worry about all the other sins. Do you know what I mean? Which, which I, are but, there. But, yeah. but I disagree, though. Yeah. I disagree. Yeah. Because I think if you got rid of pride, then the others, mm. you know, it's the same I, thing. Yeah. I mean, Jesus said just the same thing, except he said it in an opposite way. Yeah. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. yourself yeah. What is that? That's a lack of pride. Yeah, That's yeah. treating other people as better. Yeah. When you're loving God and you're loving other people, then you're not sinning. You're doing your purpose. When, when, yeah. when you are living in humility... Without pride, then you're not sinning. I, I like, agree. I agree with that. Uh, and again, I have to disagree with you respectfully on yeah. that, John, because I just made that supposition. And as I say to God every morning, or ask Him every morning, strip me of my pride. I think the same way as Judah just said in this particular instance. If I could be without any pride, just take myself. If I could be without any, if it was totally stripped me, I have no inkling of pride at all. I know I would be humble, and I, I, I would be without sin, without pride. Yeah. Mm. Here's the interesting thing, I think, is that God is going to deliver us from the evil one. God is going to offer us deliverance. He's going to offer us a way out. God always makes a way, right? Right. As long as we have our faith in him, as long as we cry out to him, as long as we call out, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? It's super, super important to understand that, to actually believe and to trust in God. doesn't matter if you're Obadiah and you're telling the, the Edomites here, like, hey, it's over. It doesn't matter. God spoke it, so it is. So if God tells us that we're saved... Through Jesus Christ, by our faith, by the gift, the, the gift of grace, then it, that is what it is. Then we have nothing else that we really have to focus on if we're saved, other than that, other than putting God first, let Him be massive, enormous in our life, and to fulfill our purpose, which is to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. Right? Yeah. So we, it's really not much to do. The Great no. Commission, right? Teach every. Like, I always make the joke. I say, you know, God is love. Is what the Bible teaches. And then the Great Commission is, now make love go viral. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, spread that message. Baptize everybody in the name of the Father, uh, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if everybody were living according to Scripture, if everybody were living, you know, abiding in the, in the true vine, Jesus, would there be war between Israel and Palestine now? Mm. No. Would, would, would there be any kind of petty theft or, or crimes? No. Would there be any violence? No. Why? Because people would be trusting in the Lord, right? Yeah. And yet, what do we see? We see a world that looks godless. We see a world that hates Jesus. Right. Yeah. The pride thing, again, I, it goes back again to the fall of Adam and Eve, the, the fall of 
Lucifer, Satan, if we think about this clearly, God created the world for us and created us to not not to live independently of him, but to live dependent on him. Absolutely. And that's and that's where the pride comes in. When we want to live independent of God, when we want to in anything that we do, we're committing pride. Mm. We're committing yeah, we're a saying sin. We don't need you. We're committing a sin of pride. Saying, you. Exactly, Johnny. Yeah. Saying that we don't yeah. need God. And God didn't create us for that. He created us to be dependent on him. He wants us to be dependent on him. He's the best father ever. Yeah. Well, and it all it all revolves around that because again, it's uh Jesus said, What? If anyone wants to follow me must you know deny themselves, take up the cross, right. and follow me. Right. What is denying yourself? That's an act of humility. Yeah. And and whenever I put myself up above anything or anyone else, now that's where sin enters the picture. Um, and and the reality of it is, it's like with sin, with all these things, it's like there's this idea that people have: oh, the devil made me do it, or oh, I was you know tempted. But they fail to realize where temptation even comes from. Right? Where does temptation come from? Where does temptation come from? Everybody says the devil. The devil. But it doesn't. Yeah. Our, our hearts. Our, our, says, yeah. I mean, like, uh, for you guys are all younger, but Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's our own sinful <laughs> desire. Right. To, to, it's in James. Yeah. Yeah, and James says, you know, we're tempted when we are lured away by our own sinful desires and enticed. And and I think that, that, that the devil probably looks around at most people and be like, I don't even have to do anything. <laughs> like, like, like you, you're messing up your own life all on your own. Like, you know, it's like you, you're, you're, you're doing a good enough job just pursuing your own selfish thing. Cause as long as we have that selfish tendencies, that pride in our heart, it mm-hmm. will lead us down a pathway to destruction because pride comes before destruction. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Talks all about a haughty spirit, you know, and pride, all these things. And and here we see this with Israel and, and Amos. You were proud. You had all the money. You did all this stuff. You were proud. You thought you were, you know, the, the greatest thing in the world. And so I'm going to cut you down to size. Oh, Edom, Edom, you got, you live in the mountains. You think you're so tough. You think you're so awesome. Going to bring you down to size. You know, United States of America. Judah, Johnny, Dave, like all, it's like, oh, you think you're all, well, I'm going to yeah. bring you down to size because we have this God complex where we think that we are, you know, the be all end all. We are the greatest thing in my universe. And as long as we are taking up the role of God and we are going to be at odds with the one true living God. If, if all the scholars are right and Obadiah is the same Obadiah from, um, What's the king's name? Ahab? Ahab, yeah. Ahab and Jezebel, right? He has seen this type of hubris his entire administration, his entire right. life probably, right? Yeah. And and to bring this full circle back to Obadiah, which is this, you know, this one this one book, the 21 verses, that's exactly what God is doing here. He is saying, look at what I can do with, with someone who, who wraps themselves in humility. Right. They can they're allowed to be the mouthpiece of God. And now let's see the other side of that coin. A proud nation, a murderous nation, a wealthy nation, a prideful nation, a lustful nation, right? Yep. A nation full of injustice, right? Brought down. 
Yeah. That, this book is short, but that's exactly what we yeah. see here is that that overall, no matter what, whatever God says, that's how it's going to be. He's completely sovereign no matter what the timeline is with Jesus and everything else, King Herod and all this stuff. If he says it, it's going to happen. And and that theme of the Bible that pride comes before the fall, mm-hmm. the scripture teaches. For folks who want to get into the Bible and you want to read something short, read Obadiah. 21 verses, but read it a lot and delve into it because there is so much said in here to use one of Judah's favorite expressions, it's jam-packed. Jam-packed with a lot. And here's another thing about it. When we get to the end of this, 15 through 21, verses 15 through 21, we need to pay attention. Everybody needs to pay attention to this. This is the, the, the subtitle of my book is Edom is Destroyed and Israel is Restored. There will come a time, and we have talked about this in, in our Bible study and other books, there'll come a time when there is no more chance There is no more opportunity. There is no more room for repentance. God is done. And you will be destroyed. Mm. And that's what he does here. If you read this, this is why this, I looked at it, I go, okay, this is serious. He says, the day is near when I, the Lord, will judge all godless nations. In that verse, 15 alone, I don't know if you guys picked up on it, it's a hinge verse. Mm -hmm. He's talking about Edom all this time. And now for the first time, He says, it shifts. It's a hinge verse. He says, all godless nations, not just Edom. There's a time when there's no more room for repentance. All that you've done to Israel will be done to you. And I'm not going to read all of this here, but he, he goes on right through 21. This is what's going to happen. Israel will be restored, but all of you nations, not just Edom now, that verse hinges and it changes to everybody. And by all nations... Does not does that not include all people? Does that not include us? Yeah. He is saying right here, the time for repentance is over. God's done. I'm going to destroy. You know, it's, mm. how, it's like how do you reconcile that? How do you reconcile that all throughout history? You know, Hebrew, Jewish, Israelites, right? All throughout history have been what uh, tried to be extinguished through war, captured, put into servitude or slavery. Think about the Holocaust, right? And what and what did God say? They're, I'm going to put them in their land, and they're not going to be uprooted. Mm. How do you reconcile that when there's a nation like Edom, who's at the crossroads between Europe and Africa and uh, Asia? Mm. I mean, that, like you said, they were a wealthy nation. You, you look at them; they're doing great. You know, they have all the finest, you know, uh, silk garb and clothing, right? They have they have the greatest camels. You know, they have they have great wine. They have great spices. They're they're along the the, the you know the major highways, right? Thrive, yeah. They're, they're a first world nation in, mm-hmm. in, by those standards. Yeah. So much to the point that they even buy the holy city. And then how do you reconcile that that nation truly is extinguished because God spoke it? And the Israelites who have been scattered across the world, right, are back where they're supposed to be. Mm. It's just more proof of God in our, in our modern day uh, society, you know? Yeah. It's just, to me, it's just, it's just another, you know, breathtaking proof, you know? Mm. Well, it's like verse 17, but Jerusalem will become a refuge to those who escape, it'll be a holy place. People of Israel will come back and reclaim their inheritance. And we've seen that play out several times. But how it's like, you know, and even the, the, the tensions in the Middle East now is all around that verse about the people of Israel reclaiming their inheritance. And uh, there can be wars. And again, I mean, we're not going to try to, to take sides on this because um, that's not our goal here, but when you fight against a prophecy of God, 
you're doomed to fail. You're going to lose. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like... Even if it looks yeah. like you're doing well. Even right. if it looks like you're thriving, right. you're winning. Right. I'm not worried. Yeah. Right. Well, because if you think about it, <clears throat> on all accounts, throughout history, Israel's not been the most prosperous country. There's always been the, the Romans, the Assyrians, the, you know, the Babylonians. Edomites, you know, yeah. Babylonians. It's the like Egyptians, you name it. Yeah. And yet, they've out, outlasted. And they've, they've still been there because God had his hand on them. Well, one last final thought on, on this whole pride thing is I was kind of reflecting on it. You know, you read through Chronicles, First and Chronicles, First and Second Kings, all the Old Testament, all the New Testament for that matter. And my challenge is name one king, ruler, or leader that was full of pride that God exalted and used. And you can't. Because every single time they were full of pride and exalted themselves. Can't be used. Spun around and, oh, okay, there's your demise. There's your demise. I'll do you one better. Your, like, like Hezekiah. Hezekiah is like one of the most tragic stories, in my opinion. Because the prophet comes to Hezekiah and says, you're going to die. Yeah. And Hezekiah repents. And he says, please pray to God on my behalf that, that I won't, you know, die. And God says, you know what? I've heard his prayer. I'm not going to kill him. And then he just, he brings in people from foreign countries and he's showing off all of his goods and he's doing all these things. And it's like, I'm thinking like, God, you should have just taken him while you could have. You yeah, know, it's yeah, like, yeah. just taking him then. He repented, he turned and nope, it was his downfall. Pride. Solomon. Pride. Yeah, Saul, that's what I was going to say. I mean, yeah. it's like... Yeah. I was going to say, I'll do you one better. Look at all the humble people that God rose and exalted, right? So David, right? Right. Versus Goliath. He's not even invited to the battle, right? right. He's he's the son that's not even brought before the, the prophet, right? And then, boom, what do you see? He's up on the rooftop. and who, Or he, what does he look down onto a rooftop right. and see? Right. Right? And then he... he I want... Yeah. I want me. Pride, right? right? Yep. And, and I was going to say this as we're closing out this uh, today's study is, you know... Pride comes before the fall. And I was thinking about, uh, this is just a simple illustration. You know, felling a tree, if you've ever taken an axe, a sharp axe, and you've cut down a tree, you'll know the sound that the tree makes before it falls as it begins to creak and the fibers compress. And it's like that sound comes right before the fall, and that's exactly how pride is. Yep. It's, it's that eminent, it's that close to you, that if, if you're involved in being that proud, right around the corner it's going to be crash. You know? Yeah. It's coming down hard. And crash and burn usually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and... and and one of those <laughs> indicators is hearing about pride, because I've preached about it before, and it's, it's tough to preach about because, number one, I deal with it. Number two, nobody really cares if you deal with it, because it's not like, oh, I'm an alcoholic. And number three, the way pride works, again, self-deception, is everybody says, oh, that's not about me. Hmm. And it's like... Even here, we're like, oh, pride, pride, yeah, that's stupid. Those idiots who are all full of pride. It's like, and again, you get sucked in. You yeah. get sucked in. You get sucked in, you know? Well, so. it, it, it's because it's we're smarter than they were. <laughs> we have all these lessons that we've learned. We have all this technology. We're, we're, we're ahead of the curve. Yeah. We're, we're good. You know, we're I'm, good. I'm, I'm proud of how far we've come. Yeah, here. Me, too, yeah. me too. Well, you know, you know what it is? It's, I don't know, half an hour, Ben was mentioning that God is like Bugs Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it is for me well it's Bugs Bunny like, well, had magic yeah. Yeah, was, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like this it's kind of like you know um, I've heard this expression which I haven't found in the Bible yet I've been looking for it but I have yet to find it right <laughs> which is God helps those who help themselves yeah it's not mm-hmm. there <laughs> that's right that's right so, so that's not biblical at all right but um you know, God does talk about being a sluggard or being lazy, and, right? You know, you know, I mean, it's a to, good to work, yeah, yeah, to work hard and that and that sort of thing, right? And to you know, make your own way. But it's easy to let's say that you start to make your own way and you start to become successful mm. and you start to make money 
where you start to get notoriety or fame, right? You start to get, you know, people commenting. You did. You got yourself there. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, so, so what ends up happening is, is you know, maybe, maybe you are walking with God and maybe you feel like, oh, you know, I need to do this stuff and you do this stuff and then you get somewhere and all of a sudden God's up way off in the distance behind you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now you think, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. Or, or, when, or when trouble arises, you say, you know, look at all I've done already. I got this. Right. You know, I, I got this job. I, you know, I graduated from these schools. You know, I have these certifications. I've done these trainings. You know, I have all these skill sets. And I'm, you know, I, I have the mental aptitude. I, I can tackle these challenges. I got this. Right. And it's not appealing to God saying, God, do you got this? Right. Can you help me with this? Mm-hmm. And bringing him into our, into our lives, into our hearts, you know? Do we leave him on the back burner because we, we have it all figured out? Or is he the first place that we go to? Mm. Whether, whether there's trouble or there's not trouble. Are, are we always giving him thanksgiving? Yeah. Are we always you know, praising his name? You know? Well, you know, one, one final thought on, on humility and things like that is that humility is neutral. Um, humility is, is something in the middle. In other words, if you're, if you're walking a tightrope, you can fall off on either side. And and it's humility is, is neutral. It's 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 zero. It's not negative. It's not positive. It's it's neutral. And what I mean by that is like, well, on, on one side, okay, Johnny, you, you're a tattoo artist, right? So so you could you could take pride in, in that and in the fact that you're you're you know a t- tattoo artist and you've been successful and whatever. And, and I could argue, well, who gave you the ability to be creative? Yeah. Who gave you your hands yeah. for crying out or loud? Your eyes, yeah. You know, or, or yeah. your eyes, your ability to see, your ability yeah. to. To, to do this. Okay, so so now that, that, that brings you back to neutral. Well, we can go too far and be like, well, you know what? It's not me. It's just God. I'm just a worthless piece of crap. And now we've gone negative. Mm-hmm. And when you go negative, that's also fueled by pride because now it's it's all about me and it's all about you know, it's like, well, well, now, okay, well, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna resist this. So I'm gonna be humble. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so humble. See, I'm not humble. I don't brag about my stuff. I'm this, I'm that, and yeah, oh, yeah I'm, I'm just a worthless piece of junk. You know, because you know, it's, it's only, it's like, no, humility is neutral. Humility is like, look, God's given me a talent. I've taken that talent. I've practiced. I've worked at my craft, and I've become good at what I. You know, it's not. I, saying, didn't, I didn't squander. Right. It, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. because to me, like, well, I'm not good at all. It's like we, we downplay. It. It's like no. No, it's, it's an honest estimation of ourself. It's just honest. Yeah. It's, as somebody said, it's seeing yourself the way God sees you. It's saying, okay, I'm not God. Mm-hmm. I'm not amazing. I'm not this and that. But he's given me gifts, talents, and abilities, and I've used them for his glory, and I've done well with it. I'm not going to allow it to get me into pride, but I'm also not going to go into false humility either because that becomes you know, a slippery path on the other side. So, anyhow. Let's leave it there for right now. You know, Obadiah was was nice and short uh, to the point, but let's move on to Jonah, uh, another minor prophet. But man, what a what a major impact! So we're gonna go through the book of Jonah, four chapters. We're gonna read through this. I don't know. I'd say seven times. I mean, let, let, let's. Uh, I'm not going to Jonah. Yeah, yeah, he's not going to Jonah. Um, I'm not going. I'm not yeah. going. Jonah had no pride at all, I'm sure. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> as he sits back and waits for Nineveh to be destroyed. Right, exactly. um, so, uh, let, let's read through Jonah. We'll come back next week and discuss what uh, God speaks to us through that. Well, we hope that you enjoyed our discussion today on the Thriving in the Word podcast. We invite you to leave a rating or a review wherever you're listening to this podcast also consider sharing it on social media we can't wait to be back together with you at the thriving in the word podcast